mean, who likes to be around a complainer? Other than a complainer. Complainers love to hang out with complainers. And yet James 3.16, if you want to know why your family is in shambles, or your ball team, or your business, or your church, I can narrow it down for you to one verse in all the Bible. And there it is, James 3.16. That's it. I mean, look at that. What's it say? For we're jealousy, so there's envy. And selfish, oh, there we go. Ambition exists. There will be, not might be, there will be. That's what you're signing up for. There will be what? Disorder and every vile practice. This is the essence of idolatry. God, you're not enough. I don't believe you. I don't trust you. I'm discontent. And what I'm doing, I'm being selfish. And what I'm really doing is I'm inviting confusion and every evil thing into my life. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. And so, Father, would you speak? We know that it's a work of you that rescues the soul. And so, would you work? Father, I pray You'd move me out of the way that the broken human vessel would not be seen or even heard, but simply the power of the Holy Spirit. And so God, whatever we're dealing with today, whatever the struggles, whatever the doubts, whatever the fears, God, I pray that we would cast our cares upon You, because You care for us. God, don't allow us to be casual Christians. Don't allow us, as one said, to be professional pretenders. God, I pray that today that will be a new day. A total surrender. That we would renounce everything else. And understand that we've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives within me. Oh God, we give you the glory for your word. And we praise your name. And we pray this all in the mighty and the matchless name of King Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Take your Bible and turn to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, looking at just one verse today, verse 9. And as you're turning there, we are launched into 21. It's hard to believe that we're in 21 already, isn't it? I feel like it was just yesterday, Y2K was around the corner, and I was trying to get my scissors Y2K compliant. And here we are in 21. It's amazing what happens as time flies. And the theme for 21 is simply all in. The question is, are you all in? Am I all in in 21? Are we committed? Are we surrendered? Are we dialed in to the mission? Are we surrendered and committed and dialed in, number one, to Christ and His glory? Are we committed in such a way that we will not be deterred? We will not bend, buckle, nor break, but we will press on for God's glory. Is that you today? Is that me? I was thinking through that thought as we lead into this one verse today that I believe seamlessly fits in with this thought of being all in. And, you know, are you committed? I mean, think about this. I mean, can you partially surrender? Can you be partially committed truthfully? There's so many entities. We have marriage, we have families, we have work. You know, imagine someone comes up to you and says, hey, how's your marriage going? Amazing. It's incredible. What's your secret? Hey, we're partially committed to one another. Well, that'd be ludicrous, wouldn't it? A strong marriage takes total commitment by both parties. A strong business entity takes 
total commitment. A strong ball team takes all of the team members working together as one. It's the same thing in the church setting that we all must be in for God's glory and no job too small, all hands on deck. We just want to see the gospel go forth in power. And you think through those thoughts and yet the reality, it's easy to be partially committed, isn't it? But the real reality is you can't be partially committed. And when the police officer says, free, surrender, you don't say, I partially surrender. He goes, okay, great. No, you either surrender or you don't. And it's the same way in God's economy that we're either for Him or against Him. If we say we're partially in, we're actually totally out. You can't be partially in in God's economy. Now, the West, the American church would argue that you can, but that's not biblical. I think about this often, you know, because over time when when families and ball teams and businesses and churches begin to skate by regarding the lack of commitment, here's what happens. The bad habits, the lazy habits often become the norm. They're the benchmark. And what they do is they set into motion the internal collapse of those entities. It's always a slow fade, by the way. When I've talked to folks where their marriage is imploding, they don't sit there in front of me and say, hey, you know what, it was great yesterday and here we are today. No, it was a slow fade over time of, of one compromise, one seemingly small compromise led to another. And the same thing happens in our relationship with Christ, our commitment to His bride, the church, that, by the way, He's returning for. We must be all in. Are you all in? I was thinking about that thought, and I, well, I asked myself this past week, I, I wanted to make it real personal, and so I asked myself this question, but I ask you audibly, and I want you to answer to yourself, but if our church ceased to exist, what would the community say? If our church ceased to exist, what would the community say? Not the church members, not the pastor, not the deacons, not the ushers. What would the community say? It's a telling question, isn't it? See, my prayer would be this, that the community would grab us by the ankles and say, you can't go anywhere. I mean, you're our lifeline. Oh, you stand for truth. You're a lighthouse. You're a beacon on the corner. You can't go anywhere. That would be my prayer. John Cooper said it like this, we've gotten so scared of saying things that are true that it has caused a crisis. It has caused a crisis of people believing that they are good and that they can reach heaven without Jesus. You think through this because selfish people produce selfish families and Selfish families produce selfish churches, and selfish churches are repellent to hurting people in the community. You say, what does this have to do with James 5.9? Well, everything. Because when you look at this one short verse, here's what the Holy Spirit imparted to James. When He gave this command in James 5 verse 9, do not grumble against one another brothers. Don't miss that. So that, there it is, those two words, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge, capital J, is standing at the door. The title of the message today is simply this, a question, is grumbling a spiritual gift? Is grumbling a spiritual gift? You say, well, of course it isn't, silly. Well, the reason I ask that is because so often we do it with such ease that you would think it's a spiritual gift. And yet God's Word is very clear here in James 5, 9. He says here, what? Do not grumble. Do not grumble against who? One another. Brothers. This is very, very important. That word grumble there when you unpack it and really see what it means for what it is, it means this, to complain, 
to be discontent. The message translation might say bellyache. On and on it goes about groaning and being dissatisfied. Now, let me put an asterisk here in a note. This is not dealing with someone who confronts heresy, who confronts sin. We are commanded in Scripture, hear me, hear more importantly the word clearly, we are commanded to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. So here's what happens. You will get people in our world, even inside the American church, who are great manipulators, and they will want to hide behind their sin, justify their sin, and now accuse you of grumbling and complaining as you're trying to help deal with their sin to get them free. That's not what James is talking about here. The context here, remember, context is king, is that this is a group of people, these Jewish believers who are under persecution. And when you understand the context here, you understand what's going on persecution-wise. I don't know about you, but when I endure persecution, I'm really good at grumbling. Like, you know, you're out there on 288 at 5 p.m. on Friday, and I'm not praising Jesus, amen? I'm wondering why I'm sitting in a parking lot on a highway. It's so easy to grumble, and we think that's persecution, which is the real travesty, isn't it? No, this is a self-focus that leads to a discontentment that expresses itself through the mouth called complaining. And right here, James says, by the power and inspiration and illumination of the Holy Spirit, do not grumble, do not complain, do not be discontent against one another, brothers. The word brothers there is not akin to actual kin, it's that church fellowship. He's saying, look, when you're in this corporate body, be on your guard to not be complaining and grumbling because you're not getting what you want. It's hard to do though, isn't it? No one has to be taught to complain. I don't have to. I'm really good at it. I came out of the womb kicking and screaming. And we do that a whole life long. From the womb to the tomb, we have this battle going on, this struggle, this, this me-ism that is in our culture and is so prevalent, and we've got to war against it. We've got to fight against it. That's why key number one It's so important. It's pretty simple. But write it down, key number one, we are commanded throughout Scripture to not complain. Key number one, very simple, we are commanded. These are not suggestions. We are commanded throughout Scripture to not complain. You say, well, I don't know where you're going. Well, I'm glad you inquired. Write down Philippians chapter 2, Philippians 2, 14 through 15. Here's what Paul writes to the church in Philippi, and here's what he says, again, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, do all things, not some, do all things without grumbling or questioning. Why? Here it is, that's so that again, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. I thought our generation was crooked and twisted. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. Do you guys understand this? Do do I understand this? That for those of us that profess to know Christ, for those of us that say, hey, my life is no longer my own. I've given my life to Christ. Here's the deal. We are either preaching a message about Jesus or against Jesus. It's one of those that it's like for Him or it's against Him. And here, we got to understand through the church in Philippi there, as Paul is writing to them, he's saying, look, you are a light. You're a light. Your life is a beacon of hope for the one who's been redeemed, that Christ has come into that life, and that life is no longer its own, here's what happens. You shine like a lighthouse. You shine like a torch. You shine like a beacon of hope. And unfortunately, 
when I complain, when you complain, that light begins to dim. There's just something about being around someone who complains. 1 Timothy 6.6 says it like this, and I do word association to remember things, so I always remember that Michael Jordan was 6.6. That's how I remember that one. 1 Timothy 6.6, but godliness, here it is, number one, godliness with contentment is great gain. Pursuing holiness, pursuing truth, pursuing all that God is, is contentment. If you want to know what the content life looks like, run hard after Jesus. And contentment, by the way, really is a choice. I can choose to be content in my circumstances when they're good, and that's fairly easy to do. But when God is not going my way, the question is, will I still go His way? When God says no, will you still say yes? Paul tells young Timothy, godliness with contentment is great profit. How about 1 Thessalonians 5.18? 1 Thessalonians 5.18, write that one down. Paul writes now to a third group, church in Thessalonica, give thanks in some circumstances. Is that what that says? Give thanks in all circumstances. Now, this is interesting. So, some of you are probably saying, wait a minute, preacher, you're saying the Bible says I'm to give thanks in all. Yes. Yeah. Don't overcomplicate it. It doesn't mean I'm actually thankful for them, but I'm giving thanks in them. Does that make sense? Like, when bad things happen, we don't have to go, oh, thank you for them, but we can say, God, this is lousy. This stinks. I didn't sign up for this. This is not the plan. My family should not be a train wreck, comma, but God, I want to praise your name. I want to give you glory for whatever you're doing behind the scenes. I'm going to worship you in the storm. That's going to preach a thousand messages to your neighbors. Give thanks in all, not some. In all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Did you catch that? People say, what's the will of God for my life? Well, that's a pretty good verse right there. I don't know the will of God for my life. You don't? Okay, how about 1 Thessalonians 5.18? How about no matter what you're dealing with, the struggle, the heartache, the pain, your back's against the ropes, you don't understand it, the bottom keeps falling out one after another, after another, after another, and you say, how could a good God do this to me? Come. I worship you. I praise your name. You're awesome. That's a life that God's going to use for His glory. So what's the why in verse 9? Well, there it is. So that you may not be judged. What's the why in James 5 verse 9? There it is. So that. Remember, there's a command. Do not grumble. Do not complain. Do not be discontent with one another. Brothers, church family, so that, the why, you may not be judged. Judged, what's that mean? It means condemned. We make a judgment. We do this all the time, don't we? Even subconsciously, we make a judgment. Hey, you pull up to the restaurant and, you know, you see the doors are hanging off the hinges and there's mold growing everywhere. You're going to go, well, I'm probably not going to go there today, right? Uh, you pull into the restaurant and the line's too long. The Methodist beat you there because your Baptist pastor preached too long. And you are ticked off, but you're not complaining. We make a judgment, don't we? we? We judge all the time. And again, judging is not necessarily bad. We make a judgment. Here, though, this is not good. You're going to be judged. There's going to be a condemnation as we begin to live a life of complaining. And it's just so easy. Like I said earlier, none of us, if we're truthful, I have to get up and go, someone asks, hey, where are you going? Well, I'm going to you know, go in my prayer closet and work on complaining. It just comes naturally. It's just, it's seamless. It's just part of who we are. 
That's why key number two is so important. And we're going to get to the really heart of the matter here. We're going to get to the heart of the matter in key number two. Complaining is a byproduct of selfishness. These sins, yes, plural, these sins reap great consequences that spread like an uncontrollable disease. Let me say that again. Key number two, complaining is a byproduct of selfishness. These sins reap great consequences that spread like an uncontrollable disease. These sins, selfishness, complaining, they're both sins. They spread like wildfire. I mean, think about this. Think about the role that idolatry plays in complaining. So back in Exodus 20, there were these things called the Ten Commandments. How many were there, church? Ten. Excellent. What was number one? Do we know? There shall be no other gods before me. And you've heard me say this before, but if you get number one right, the remaining nine take care of themselves. If we just put God first in everything we do, I'm talking everything we do, we don't have to worry about the other nine. The problem is we got God to Some days he's number four, and some days he's number nine, and some days he's number 12, and some days he's number 13, and that's what happens when the train goes off the tracks. The the lug nuts start getting loose. The wheels start wobbling, don't they? Idolatry, just call it what it is, because complaining is a byproduct of selfishness, and selfishness is where I look to myself for my hope, my identity, and my security. I make myself an idol. I want what I want, the me monsters there, the me planet, the me universe. I fight for me all the day long. The me-ism that's taken over our culture is running rampant. And God says that's not the way to go. There's going to be great consequences for this. Here's a test for you. I'll give you a test. So we're going to leave here in a while. You're going to get in your car. What's the first thing out of your mouth? Can be frightening, amen? I mean, it's the first time you go, man, God really worked today. I mean, it's the first time, oh, man. Did you sense the power of the Holy Spirit there today? Now, what do we do? I can't believe he took that last donut. Can't believe it. That was my parking space. I don't care if they're a first-time visitor. That's my seat. And it's amazing how this begins to spread like an uncontrollable disease. It's just easy. I want us to think about some verses. Numbers 11.1, Numbers 11.1, probably one of the most potent in all of Scripture regarding this. Numbers 11.1, and the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes And when the Lord heard it, you kind of, you read that and you go, "Uh uh-oh. His anger was kindled, Uh uh-oh, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. You say, just for complaining? Yeah, just for complaining. See, here's what's happened in the West. Complaining has become part of our DNA. It's part of what we do. In Christian circles, to be blunt, this is a rationalized, respected sin that very rarely gets dealt with. Often we complain with other people. It's just easy to do. And God says, I hate complaining. Complaining is, I'm discontent. And godliness with contentment is great gain. You say, well, give me some more verses, okay? How about Galatians 6, 7? Church in Galatia. Paul writes this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. There are great consequences to all sin. Sin never has isolated consequences. Sin always always affects other people. 
And God will not be mocked. Yes, we're in His time of mercy and grace, and He is, for whatever reason, has not cut the cord on His wrath. But I can assure you this, as we're going to see in a moment, He is storing up His wrath for the day to come. There is going to be a heavy price to pay for those who do not give their life to Christ and walk in His ways. There's going to be a heavy price to pay. And what happens is we got to learn how to navigate in this world because we associate with people that are just not unbelievers. Here's the real challenge. We associate with people that claim to know Christ but aren't living for Him. Now, that makes it really, really tricky, doesn't it? Because when you associate with people that say, oh, I know Jesus, and yet their life, their fruit is not backing that up, this gets really, really messy. And complaining is one that is so damaging. I mean, who likes to be around a complainer other than a complainer? I mean, complainers love to hang out with complainers. And yet James 3.16, if you want to know why your family is in shambles, or your ball team, or your business, or your church, I can narrow it down for you to one verse in all the Bible. And there it is, James 3.16. That's it. I mean, look at that. What's it say? For we're jealousy, so there's envy. And selfish, oh, there we go. Ambition exists. There will be, not might be, there will be. That's what you're signing up for. There will be what? Disorder and every vile practice. This is the essence of idolatry. God, you're not enough. I don't believe you. I don't trust you. I'm discontent. And what I'm doing, I'm being selfish. And what I'm really doing is I'm inviting confusion and every evil thing into my life. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. Judgment. What do you think about that word judgment? Well, I find it interesting, the last part of the verse says this, Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Let me read that again. Behold, the judge, capital J, is standing at the door. When James is writing this, he says, look, here's the deal. Don't grumble. Not a suggestion. Not if you get around to it. Well, here's what he's saying. Don't have a hint of it in your life. Don't allow it into your life in any way, shape, or form. Barricade every area of your life against this stuff because it will seep in like a cancer and it will destroy. Why? Well, you're going to be judged if you allow this into your life. Oh, wait a minute. This gets even worse. The judge, not a judge, the judge is standing at the door. Who's he talking about? Do we know? He's talking about Christ. The Judge, capital J. I want you to picture something for a moment. Any Perry Mason fans in the room? One person saved? Good grief. Okay, all right, okay, a couple of us there, okay. I don't know what other attorney shows or judge shows are on, probably not anything good, but... When a judge typically walks into a courtroom, if you were in the courtroom, what do you do? Well, here's what you do, right? You lay down, take a nap, you just saunter in, you say, sop, right? Sop, what's going on? So what do you say, right? And what do you do? They say, all rise. There's a, an authority. You may not like the judge, but there's an authority. There's a respect. There's a command of the courtroom. Can you imagine? Take that little, little extreme. And now King Jesus has his hand on the door. Can you imagine what's going to happen? 
Nobody's sauntering into his courtroom. It's like hit the deck. Here's the problem. It's, it's too late. There aren't any more do-overs. He's going to judge. He's going to rule with an iron rod, an iron fist, his eyes with flames like fire on his thigh, faithful and true. Here comes King Jesus. And if we're not careful with the rationalized, respectable, justified sins, like complaining, we're unwittingly just sauntering into his courtroom. See, this is so key that we understand number three as you write this last key down. It's a long one, so bear with me. Here it is. If I'm a complainer, I must resist deceiving myself, don't miss that, into believing that as God extends mercy to me regarding this sin, this is a green light for me to continue living in this sin. Let me say that again. Key number three, if I'm a complainer, I must resist deceiving myself into believing that as God extends mercy to me regarding this sin, call it what it is, this is a green light for me to continue living in this sin. This is delusional is what this is. And that's what we're living in our culture, right? I mean, think about this for a moment. If you're on a ball team and you're the quarterback and you're completing more passes to the other team than you are your own team, the coach might come to you and say, uh, we're going to put in the replacement if you continue to throw the ball to the other team. That can be very motivating, right? Very, even for you non-sports fans, just shake your head on this. That's very motivating. Very motivating. If you're about to lose your job and your employer says, get your act together, you're going to lose your job, that's going to be very motivating, isn't it? it motivation with consequences, with children, is very motivating. See, God right now is so gracious, so loving, so patient, that even though we don't see the consequences that our sin is producing, we somehow delusionally connect dots that aren't there and go, well, he must be okay with this. God is never okay with sin. And think about this. Accountability is a great motivator. Unity is a byproduct of accountability. So just think through this for a moment. If in your home, in your business, in your ball team, in your church, you don't have biblical accountability, you're not going to have biblical unity. It's just not going to happen. You're not going to have this. In order to have biblical unity, you must have biblical accountability. I mean, when you go to work, I'm assuming that your employer says, hey, you know, you got to do this, you got to do that, and and assuming that you do what the employer says. And yet, unfortunately, in the Christian walk, we've turned God's grace into a cheap grace often. Sanitize Jesus, right? Cheap grace. What does the Bible say about this? Well, we know that sin's never okay with God. And in Revelation 3, 19 through 20, and I've used this on multiple occasions throughout the years, but it gets so convoluted. This often is used for evangelism, and I get the point, it's just not hermeneutically correct. Revelation 3, 19 through 20, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Sounds fun, huh? But He loves us. He loves you. He's, he loves you, so you're not going to be illegitimate. He's going to reprove you. So be zealous and Repent. There's an appeal, that there's a call, that there's the appeal, the call there to repent, be zealous, be earnest in this. Behold, I stand at the door. Sounds interesting, doesn't it? And knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. It's to the church in Laodicea. They're riding the fence. Satan owns the fence. This is not evangelism. Jesus is knocking on the door of his own church. He's trying to get into his own church who has lost their first love, their way. It's like the church in Ephesus. 
that lost their first love. How about Romans 2, verse 5? This is powerful here. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Did you catch that, church? So if we're a complainer and we just think, hey, God's good with it, He's not. It's doing great damage. We may not see the damage. Hey, the lights are on. The thing's imploding underneath, but the lights are on. Hey, we're having a great time on the top deck of the cruise boat. Beach balls, slides. Underneath one level, water's filling up the ship. Well, here's the deal. Because of your hard and impenitent heart, that means the refusal to repent. You guys ever dealt with a rebellious child before? How many were like me who were a rebellious child? Raise your hand. Yeah, that was, that was me. Just the stiff neck, brazen forehead. Oh, no, you don't. You don't tell me what to do. Storing up wrath for the day to come. And that is the insanity and delusion of sin right there. We think we're getting away with it. We think we're not hurting anyone. Meanwhile, we're destroying everyone in our path. You say, well, is sin really that big of a deal? Aren't you making too much of a thing out of this preacher? Let's always go back to Scripture to answer the questions. How about Romans chapter 6, 1 through 2? Romans 6, 1 through 2. Paul writes, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? What a question. Once saved, always saved. Let's partay, right? Is that what he's saying here? Of course not. He's asking a question. Do we go on sinning that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? For those who say, man, I know Jesus, you do. Okay, tell me about it. And as you begin to unpack this, you see very clearly they don't know Jesus and He doesn't know them for sure. There will be a disdain for sin. When God's Word calls something sin, we don't Mickey Mouse it and Humpty Dumpty it. We go, look, here's the deal. This is what it says. It may offend you. It may just rub raw against your flesh saying, I don't want this. But the reality is this. When God's Word speaks, we stand on God's Word. For thus saith the Lord. I was thinking about the takeaway question. And it's a real simple question. Pretty direct. Takeaway question, am I a whiner? Just think about that. Am I a whiner? You know, overcoming complaining involves no more denial. It's freeing. Do I behave as though complaining is a spiritual gift? Do I complain with ease about God and about my circumstances? Does it just flow? Is there any conviction? Like, do we catch ourselves going, oh, that's a good sign. It's like a really good sign. Oh, okay, help me kill it. Need some help. Call the accountability partner. Get them on the scene. Need some help here. That's how you kill this stuff. You go to war against it. And yet being a whiner is a repellent. It's impossible, church. It's impossible to hang out with a whiner and not be infected to some degree. It's impossible. That's why you got to choose your friends carefully. Carefully. The people you hang out with, are, is there humility? Is there godly sorrow? Is there ownership? Or are they always blaming everybody else? It's always everyone else's fault. Always have an answer for everything. Run. Run for the piney woods. Hang out with people that are going to make you more like Jesus. Find those people. They're out there. I know they're hard to find, but they're out there. Find them. Go on a mission. It's so key if you're going to live a life for Christ. Well, how about the action step? Here it is. I embrace, very key, I embrace, I desire 
I hunger, thirst for, that overcoming complaining will take an all-out yielding to Jesus. Let me say that again. Action step. I embrace, not rejecting, but I embrace that overcoming complaining will take an all-out yielding to Jesus. Now, a couple quick thoughts here. I am not advocating self-effort. True surrender is all about a work of the Holy Spirit. That's why we pray and we pray and we pray. Maybe right now there's someone on your mind. It could be that mom, that dad, that son, that daughter, someone in your world, a coworker, who you are even right now, you are praying and you are praying like you've never prayed in a pew before. You're just praying, God, will you do something? I mean, will you wake them up? Wake them up before it's too late. It's not self-effort, it's Holy Spirit effort. But at the same point, we must be prepared to yield. You guys ever come off the interstate there? And as you're coming off the interstate, there's that upside-down triangle sign that's white and red, and it says what? Yield. Hopefully you're not those guys or gals that don't look, but you gun it as you're coming onto the interstate. Because the whole point is that you yield. You deny self, right? (laughs) Think about this. How many times have you been just going the speed limit on 95 and someone comes in and you look over at them and they're not even looking? I mean, they literally floor it, right? Think about how simple an example this is of self-denial. Boy, you come onto the road and well, you pump the brakes, and you look over your shoulder, and oh, they have the right of way. It's not about me and the mean monster, and so you just keep going, right? That's how we should do this. Now think about that to the infinite spiritual degree with Jesus. He wants you today to yield to Him. <laughs> not just raise the hand, say the prayer, do the cartwheel, sign the card, get dunked. That's all great. But there's going to be a lot of Baptists that end up eternally separated from God. You say, how could you say something like that? Well, here's how. My sheep know my voice, Jesus says. My sheep, that they hear me and they obey me and they live for me and they hunger for me. And oh, by the way, in that process that I know them and they know me and it's real. It's true. It's not a sham or a charade. It's a life that's no longer their own. I made a note here. I said this. Complaining is rooted in discontentment. But then I had a new thought along with this. I wrote this. What would happen if we were no longer discontent with God? No longer discontent with our circumstances. But what would happen if we became discontent with our personal indwelling sin. What would happen today in your home? What would happen in your business and your ball team and yes, our church if, if we became discontent with our personal indwelling sin and we don't want to rationalize any longer, but well, we want to just die to self and crucify the flesh and live for Christ all the days of our lives? What would happen? See, in order for a culture of a church to be spiritually healthy, Church membership must have biblical expectations. If you've made a profession of faith in Jesus, great. It's awesome. If you've been baptized, serious. It's amazing. I love it. But, but the reality, you can understand this. The real question is, have you truly given all of your life to Jesus? That's the real question. I quoted Mark Dever a few weeks ago and You're going to hear this quote often throughout 21 as we seek to be all in. And here's what he said about church membership. Uninvolved church members confuse both real members and non-Christians about what it means to be a Christian. And active members do the voluntary inactive members no service when they allow them to remain members of the church. For membership is the church's corporate endorsement of a person's salvation. 
Again, this must be clearly understood. Membership in a church is that church's corporate testimony to the individual's members' salvation. Yet how can a congregation honestly testify that someone invisible to it is faithfully running the race? See, there's three consequences I want to give you to not being committed to Christ and not being committed to His bride, the church. Number one, here it is, my personal spiritual growth will be stunted. It's going to be stunted. If you're not committed to Christ, if you're not committed to the local body and being fed, being cared for, walking in that, your spiritual growth is going to be stunted. Number two, your family's spiritual growth will be stunted. And number three, my church's spiritual growth will be stunted. Think about those three things. My personal spiritual growth, my family's spiritual growth, and my church's spiritual growth will be stunted. That's just how this works. What we're feeding on is who we become. That's just it. What you're taking in, if Christ and His bride, His church is not important to you, then you're going to have to suffer the consequences. And I fear for some of us. I fear for some of us. You know, we were in RAs when we were 12. Yippee. Where's the desire? Where's the hunger? Where's the thirst? To be all in for Jesus. You know who typically resists the most regarding commitment, don't you? Those who are not committed. Lack of commitment is not a commitment issue. It's a heart issue. And wouldn't that be amazing today that when we understand this truth, that when people have deceived themselves into thinking that God is somehow okay with partial commitment, that there would be a move from this ideology that, hey, I'm just a neutral and I'm okay because that's not the truth. When you're partially committed to Christ, when you're partially committed to His church, His bride, you're not in neutral. You're actually in reverse. You're going the other direction. That's why John 4, 23-24 says it like this, but the hour is coming. Don't miss this, church. But the hour is coming and now is here. When the true worshipers, not the false ones, there's false ones everywhere, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Don't miss this. In spirit and in truth. Holy Spirit, perhaps, there's a lot of argument on what this means here. I argue for both. I say yes in the Holy Spirit, but also a Holy Spirit zeal. Man, you're at the ball game and one side shouts, we got spirit, yes we do. We got spirit, how about you? And the other side shouts the same thing. They, are, they have zeal. They're, they're cheering for the team. Their heart's behind this. Oh, what would happen if the bride of Jesus Christ had their heart behind this? Perhaps our communities would never be the same again. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Aletheia, a firm foundation. We won't bend, we won't buckle, we won't break. We don't care who comes against us. We're standing on the Word of God at Enon Baptist Church. Amen? Will you be a complainer in 21? Will I be a complainer in 21? Will you take your life and be all in for Christ in 21? See, here's the travesty. All grumbling first starts as mumbling. We just mumble. It simmers. And the mumbling turns into grumbling. And the grumbling then turns into stumbling. And the stumbling for you football fans turns into fumbling. And for all of you out there, the fumbling 
turns into crumbling. Don't take complaining lightly. It will utterly destroy your life and your family and your church. Father, we come before you. The ball's in our court. What will we do is the question. God, I pray, would you just move in this time as we respond. God, perhaps there's one, maybe several here that have never given their life to you truly, and you're looking for true worshipers, not false ones, not fake ones, true ones. God, I pray today will be the day, no longer rebelling, but surrendering all to Jesus. God, whatever you want to do as we commit our lives to you, God, whatever you want to do, have thine own way. Have thine own way. God, we love you. We worship you. Holy Spirit, move and move in power right now. Don't allow us to leave here today living in sin. Enable us today to leave here living in freedom. We give you the praise. We give you the glory. And we pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.